Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast. I am your host, Cody McBroom, the CEO of Tailored Coaching Method, a world-renowned online coaching company. This podcast is built to help you create a life by design. That's what the Tailored Life is. It's choosing to blaze your own path, make your own decisions, and create a life you desire. So in this podcast, you're going to learn ways to optimize your body, optimize your mind, optimize your relationships and optimize your business and career. This is the podcast for personal development junkies and people who can't stop growing because they strive for more. We are also going to bring on experts in every single field to teach you their own expertise. So you're not only learning from me four days a week, but I'm bringing other professionals in to teach you their principles too. So if you love personal development and you constantly want to strive for more in life, this is the podcast for you. Make sure you hit subscribe, send this to a friend that needs it, and keep listening to improve your life all around. And without any further ado, let's get into the Tailored Life Podcast. Today, we are going to discuss abs. More specifically, we are going to talk about the best way to build abs. This is kind of like your expert guide to building your core. So we're going to dive into quite a few different things. Um, I'm going to dive right in and, and try to really crush this topic from each angle. Um, and what I mean by that is is we have to define what abs, quote unquote, really is, what the core truly is. A lot of people are actually misunderstand what compromises of the core, what in, is included in your core, because it's much more complex than most people think. They, the, the average person just looks and thinks six-pack, right? But that's not the case. There's much more to it. So we're going to dive into what the core actually is. We're going to dive into misconceptions of ab training. We're going to dive into hypertrophy versus strength of ab training um, and ultimately finish with application. Like how can you build out a ab program or include abs into your program in order to achieve the best aesthetic result possible? Uh, Before we jump into the podcast, I do want to give a quick shout out to the Tailored Trainer, which is our training membership site. Uh, For only $57 per month, you can get unlimited access to all of my training programs, which includes ab specialization program. So we have unlimited programs for you, whether you are training at home in a garage gym in a CrossFit gym or in a big box gym, we literally have everything covered and we have adapted quite a bit due to COVID-19. So if you are stuck away from the gym, no worries. You can still get an expert periodized program that's going to give you the best results possible. But if you have access to a gym, even better, we have all of those as well. So if you are interested in getting intelligent programming that is safe and fun while also progressing you toward your goal for less than a cup of coffee a day, make sure you check out the Taylor Trainer. There's a link in the description of this podcast. You can click that. You can watch a video where I explain it in more detail. You can read about it. You can sign up and there is no commitment contract so you can cancel at any time. It's risk-free. So without any further ado, let's get into teaching you how to best build your abs. Core training can get pretty confusing because there's a lot of poorly executed approaches and misguided information out there like most things in fitness and nutrition. It kind of seems as if every person in the gym has a different opinion, honestly, um, on how people should train their core. And a lot of times those opinions are very, very strong. (laughs) Like they feel very confident about those opinions. In fact, I've kind of seen that there are two conflicting perspectives, right? One is from the client who believes that sit-ups and crunches are the answer to removing their gut and producing a ripped six-pack. 
Um, they usually literally think if they need to lose belly fat, they need to do sit-ups. And that's, that's not necessarily the case. And I know this actually because – and this is funny because my mom listens to this podcast, so she'll probably <laughs> text me. But I've had this conversation with my mom many times, right? Like, like we talk about – um, fat loss, but to her, it's like, let's do these exercises in these areas. Cause that'll help. Right. And a lot of people forget in order to see abs, which we'll kind of touch on this today, you need to burn fat. So if there's areas on your body that store more fat that you are unhappy with, it, it, it's not about doing exercises to target those areas. It's about building muscle overall while also dieting to lose body fat. So your body strips away body fat head to toe and re- relieves or reveals those areas. Right. But like I said, the client, the average individual kind of looks at sit-ups and crunches as the answer, whereas the trainer, quote-unquote functional trainer, has a completely different perspective and pictures like a Turkish get-up or a single-arm plank on a stability ball kind of as like the go-to for core strength, right? Unfortunately, the majority of trainers struggle to bridge the ideas behind those two things, the sit-ups and then the Turkish get-ups and stability ball work, um, because a lot of people just want to feel the burn, right? Clients want to do sit-ups because they feel the burn in their abs, and if there is burning sensation in my abs, then something has to be happening down there, right? Um, that doesn't sound good. Burning sensation and da- down there has <laughs> Let's rewind. <laughs> if you feel that burning sensation, something must be happening to the muscle, correct? Um, and, and trainers are kind of on the other side, right? They're over-prioritizing these functional movements, turning their client's training program entirely into like a balancing act, right? So, so when we look at this, what needs to happen? Well, we need to effectively combine what the client wants with what the client needs because they both hold value. Right. And that's what coaching, the art of coaching really is. It's giving the client what they want while also being able to teach them and give them what they need. Right. That burning sensation that people train for is valuable because it is creating some hypertrophy of the abs. Um, And when you do get lean enough to see your six pack, that becomes a major contribution to them being fully visible. Now, the burning sensation itself isn't creating hypertrophy. It is a byproduct of what creates hypertrophy, similar to muscle damage. So if we think about when we feel that burning sensation, it's usually when there's a lot of time under tension or a lot of volume is done. And the other part of that where this becomes important and becomes a major contribution to them being actually visible is, you know, a lot of people just to focus on fat loss, which is the most important thing in order to see your abs, especially if you're genetically gifted, right? Some people are genetically gifted in the sense that their abdomens just show more easily, right? They don't need to get as lean. Whereas other people, which I fall into this ladder camp, I really need to get shredded to see my full six pack. And so for me, hypertrophy of my abs actually becomes more important because if I can hypertrophy the muscle, the muscle gets bigger. If the muscle gets bigger, they're easier to see without being so damn lean. So they both play a big role. Fat loss plays a bigger role, but hypertrophy of the abs still plays a role. And that's what that burning sensation that people feel really is. Now, all the functional core training that the science geek, aka the trainer of the year is constantly hammering is extremely valuable to overall balance, injury prevention, stability, and true core strength. So we need those as well, right? That's what the client needs. The client needs better balance. The client needs to prevent injuries. The client needs trunk stability. The client needs true core strength, right? But what do they want? 
They want to see their apps. So we have to be able to bridge this gap. And the first step in bridging that gap is so that you can actually achieve this solid core that actually looks good but still performs optimally is understanding the ins and outs of the abs, period, right? You have to be educated on what the abdomens are. So let's dive into what we have within the core, right? Let's funk, like go into the anatomy um, and explain what is really included, right? Because the core isn't just about training your six-pack, right? The six-pack itself is not your core. The core is a hell of a lot more. Now, the six-pack is within your core, but it's not all of it. The core is your entire torso, consisting of the pelvic floor muscles, the transverse abdominis, the multifidus, internal and external obliques, rectus abdominis, spinal erectors, right? And, and I know that's a lot, and it kind of sounds confusing because there's some big words and some science and <laughs> in there but just think of it as almost everything between your neck and your butt that's basically it right um, and there are two main reasons why we all talk and strive to have abs right we all talk about ab- getting abs and we all strive to get them and number one reason is because we want to look lean and aesthetic right and number two reason is usually because we want to stop having nagging low back pain low back pain is probably the most common overuse injury nagging pain that the average person suffers with I'd say the majority of people who are training in the gym have or have had tight hips and or lower back pain, right? Many times this involves having weak abs and a weak spinal erector as a result of just sitting too much, um, usually with bad posture, right? Sitting at desks, at home, in the car, you go to the gym, go on the bike, and then you do some sit-ups for your abs. It keeps us in a constantly flexed position at the hip, which makes the hip flexors in a flexed and shortened position and over time creates more and more tightness in the hip because it's constantly flexing. Like imagine if you flexed your elbow, your bicep, and you just held it there, right? You just held it there in a contraction for a long time and you couldn't move. Like it would be hard to straighten your arm. You might not even be able to fully lock out your elbow at that point. And it's exactly what's happening to your hip. People have horrible hip extension because they're constantly in hip flexion right? Um, further, when people sit, they probably have rounded shoulders and, uh, and a rounded back and likely no firm support on their lower back because a lot of times they have this uh, anterior pelvic tilt. So you got that like duck, duck butt, right? Like that, that arch in your lower back. So when you sit against a chair, there's no support on that lower back. But protecting and strengthening the spinal erectors by training the core properly can help overcome some of these issues and, and really strengthen your core. So that's what we're going to kind of touch on today, right? And that brings us to the hierarchy of core training, which is something I actually created and wrote about for the PD, uh, PTDC, Personal Training Development Center, ran by John Goodman. Um, shit, four, five, six years ago, like a long time ago, um, I created this this model, Um and I should have done more with it because it's such a good model. But after working as a trainer for so many years and, and studying under some really great coaches and learning a lot, I came to discover that all the practice and principle, like that they all practice the same principles for coaching, right? Everything I was taking from all these people was very similar. Mostly, they all practice and stress the importance of training the core in a specific order of importance, um, which we're going to dive into in a sec. But Teaching safe and effective core training in the this manner, in this hierarchy, helps build a truly strong, functional, and visible core, right? And that's what we want. The list that I'm going to go over here in a sec is the principles of core training in order of importance, starting with the most important thing first. And that list is breathing, bracing, anti-movement, flexion, and loaded carries. And you can even look at this. I'll link my article that I wrote about it in the description of this podcast because there is... Uh, um, 
there's there's a hierarchy infographic, right? And and with this list and the pyramid that's in that article, um, in that that pyramid starts right. The bra- the base of the pyramid is breathing, right? Variations of diaphragmatic breathing. The next thing on the the pyramid is bracing. So this is plank holds, hollow holds, hanging holds, things like that. Um, next we have anti movement exercises. So pallet holds, offset loaded exercises, bus drivers rotate like anti rotational landmine stuff. Then we have flexion-based exercise, so sit-up variations, uh, where we are encouraging that flexion of the spine. And then last but not least, we have loaded carries. Well, I guess it is least because it's the last thing, but <laughs> it's it's still very important. And some people would argue that it's, it's one of the most important. Um, I think loaded carries can be more important for some people because it's so safe. You just, you know, grab some heavy bells and walk with it. Worst case, you drop them, right? But if we're doing certain exercises, we can't hurt our lower back if we're not smart. So, um, but with this list and the pyramid that I just kind of broke down, you'll be able to fully understand understand what exercises and movements are the most important to work on and which ones need to be implemented first, right? Like, so start with breathing basically is, is the just there. Um, but the best way to think of building the core is like building a physical structure, right? We start with the foundation, which is the bottom layer, and it is the most important thing in order to keep the structure up and strong. With the core, it's exact same concept, and breathing is our foundation. If you haven't read the book Breathe, I would highly recommend reading it. It is unbelievably fascinating. Um, Joe Rogan had the guy on his podcast to do an interview, and then I read or I listened to the audiobook after I heard him on that show. It's phenomenal. It's just so, so interesting. But um, again, the, the, the breathing is the foundation of the core. It's the first thing we need to start with. And you may be slightly surprised that breathing is such an important part of this core training hierarchy. Um, and I was too when I first started learning about breathing. But then someone took me through what true diaphragmatic breathing looks like. And I was completely winded, right? That's when I had my reality check on what a truly functional core was. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that if you haven't mastered diaphragmatic breathing, you cannot ever have a plank um, or a sit up in your training program, right? It also doesn't mean that you, you're you don't won't see your abs because there's plenty of people who have dysfunctional breathing patterns and have visible ads abs. It just means that if you're if you want your core to be truly optimized, right? These are the principles used when you train it. Um, but at the end of the day, there's no holy grail of rules to training, right? Every client is different, every situation is different, and even though studies are a great tool for us coaches, experience is just as powerful and important. You need to learn, adapt, and do what works best for you for your where you're currently at with your training or for where your client is currently at with your training. Um, but I still suggest starting with the foundation and moving up the pyramid as you build the skill and strengthen each level, unless somebody has already covered one part. So if somebody comes into me and they're horrible with flexion, anti-rotation, all that, but they've mastered diaphragmatic breathing, obviously I'm not going to start with the foundation because they already have their foundation. So this doesn't necessarily mean it's your order of operations. It just means that it needs to be the overall functional order of operations to accomplish a strong core. Um, so how can you tell or know when to move on, right? Like move to the next step. Unfortunately, there's no test or score we can give. This isn't like the FMS functional movement screen. So this will come down to mostly your best personal judgment, but here are a few example questions I would use with clients as they're building their core to make sure that they're in the right position. And the first one is when you're practicing the breathing, do you feel it more so in your lower abdominal region or still up in your chest? Lower abs, 
the lower abdominal region would be the correct answer. If you're doing diaphragmatic breathing properly, you should be able to fill up that area beneath your lower abs on your lower stomach, almost like into your bladder, into your hips, right? Um, and then true diaphragmatic breathing, like um, amazing diaphragmatic breathing, you should be able to do it 360. So you should actually be able to breathe like through your rib cage, through your lats, through your lower belly. You should be able to have like a th three-dimensional um, breath, essentially. Another question would be, have your inhales and exhales gotten longer since you started? And the answer should be yes. The goal is to, and this is one of the things that kind of opened my eyes, is that I had shortness of breath. He, you know, like the person coaching me through, it was like, hey, I want you to exhale for seven seconds. And I got like three, right? I want you to inhale for seven seconds, got like four. So it, it taught me that I needed to work on being able to stretch out that breath in and out. Um, during the plank hold, like bracing, do you feel it in your abs now or still very much in your lower back? Are you holding the plank for longer than before? Um, and the answer should be abs and yes, longer. Right? You should not be feeling it in your low back. And usually this happens when somebody does have too big of an anterior pelvic tilt and you see their lower back sinking in during a plank. You need to tuck your tailbone, pull your rib cage down, flex your abs, and almost actually see rounding in your back during a plank. During the anti-movement exercises, have you increased resistance or weight used? Can you do a longer duration? Do you feel stronger? And the answer should be yes, yes, yes. You should be progressively overloading those and improving those. Can you perform more sit-ups than before? Have you loaded your sit-ups and flexion-based movements? The answer should be yes. Your core should be getting stronger and you should be able to go from a bodyweight sit-up to a weighted sit-up, to a Turkish sit-up, to a hanging knee raise, to a band-resisted hanging knee raise. You should be able to progressively overload these things. Um, and last but not least, when you do loaded carries, are you using heavier weights or walking for a longer distance? And the answer should be yes to both. So no matter what or which level we are on or what we are performing, general strength progression will be the best determination of mastering the level within the core training hierarchy you are in. When you're proficient and clearly progressing, move on to the next level in the pyramid. And remember, this is optimal. Doesn't mean you can't run through breathing at the beginning of your session and still have a plank in there even though you haven't mastered breathing, right? Just be smart and prioritize the level and step you are currently on and get better at it as you go. But let's move into some practical application of these of, of all the core training principles. And the first one is diaphragmatic breathing. Nothing will be supported uh, nor successfully built without the bottom layer, which is the foundation. When we're building a house, when we're building a building, right? In terms of core training, breathing makes up that foundational layer and that is always going to be the most important thing to work on when you are trying to achieve a strong core. Breathing isn't cool or sexy, right? This means, you know, before we give our clients any of those cool exercises, we should be practicing breathing. But the problem with that is it's very hard for them to get buy-in, right? Because again, breathing is not cool or sexy. But it is the most important thing because it is what helps contribute to better posture, works the deepest core muscles we have, works on our central, uh, works our central nervous system, um, both in a sympathetic and parasympathetic manner, depending on how we're doing this um, and utilizing it, mainly a parasympathetic, but it also builds strength in our pelvic floor and abdominals, which is why it's so important for pregnant women and or post-pregnancy. Um, and it releases tension in our chest, shoulders, and neck from breathing improperly. Right, a lot of people um, focus on uh, hold their stress in their shoulders. You ever hear that? Like, I hold my stress up here. Part of the reasons they have horrible breathing, right? Like, you got to make sure that you're breathing down and you're pulling it into your your lower abdominals because if you're breathing with your chest and your shoulders and you're shrugging, you're overusing your traps, you're elevating your scapula, and you're getting into that stressed position. You need to 
Breathe slowly. Breathe in through your nose. Breathe out through your mouth. Pull the rib cage down. Calm down. When you do that, you are going to be able to get into a parasympathetic mode, and that stress is actually going to release. Um, so breathing should be something that you are doing to calm yourself down, but it also should be doing something to put your torso, your core in a good position while lifting, right? So if I'm doing a squat, I can exhale and pull my rib cage down on the way up, right? So big breath in my lower abdominals on the, on, right before I go down, I drop down in the squat and then I exhale super hard, pulling my rib cage down so my core is braced as I stand up. If I'm in a plank, same thing, Pull the rib cage down, tuck the tailbone. If I'm doing a hollow body hold, same thing. Dead bug, same thing. Anything I can do to keep my neutral spine and my core brace, it's probably going to require me to pull my rib cage down and, uh, and, and breathe out, exhale before I contract. Um, and this is a really easy thing to add into your warm-ups and something that you can even practice at home. So start your warm-up by lying on your back, putting your feet up on a wall um, or feet up on a bench or something so your knees are in a 90-degree flexion. And practice breathing through your lower abdominal region while pressing your low back into the floor. Um, and as you get better at this, that's when you're going to start expanding that into your lats, into your into your sides, and you're trying to have this three-dimensional breathing pattern. So it's not just in your lower abdominals in the front, but it's coming out your, your side handles, your lower back, your lats, all of that. Some cues to think about while doing this would be having, uh, holding your hands on your lower stomach, just above your hip flexors. Uh, this is a good place to kind of press against lightly, even tapping your fingers there will give you some kind of external feedback, like a marker to breathe into. It's exactly one of the biggest benefits of a belt. When you're doing squats, when you're doing anything, a belt is an external feedback cue. It gives you something to breathe into. So it's not going to save your back or anything. Um, and some people argue it, it forces you to use less core, which for some people it does. They tighten it so tight that they forget to turn their core on because in their mind they just think that this replaces that. But the reality is, is, is the belt shouldn't be that tight. It should be tight enough, but really you should be using it as a marker to breathe into so you can have proper breathing patterns using your diaphragm and your core properly during the squat, during the deadlift, during whatever you're doing. Um, and this sounds odd, but you can, you can also kind of think about breathing through your crotch. I know that sounds weird, but um, this helped me, and I, I used to do this with my guys that I trained in person, and I would tell them, like, breathe through your balls, and a light bulb would go off instantly. So I know that sounds kind of weird, but it did help a lot with a lot of clients, and it, and it seemed to be a great coaching cue, assuming I had a good relationship with the person, and they didn't mind if I said breathe through your balls, <laughs> you know, um, as long as it wasn't weird to them. Um, or they thought it was funny. It worked, right? Um, another thing is making sure you're keeping calm and relaxed because some people can get so worked up while doing this that they, because they're really inefficient at breathing and it actually creates a sense of anxiety or struggle. And that is a problem. We're trying to breathe through our diaphragm ideally to create a parasympathetic tone of our nervous system. So calm our nervous system down. And when we breathe like that and we create this anxiety, we're doing the exact opposite. We're creating a sympathetic tone and we're actually getting, um, our, our nervous system amped up. Um, so here's the rundown. Inhale very slowly when you're doing this, filling up 
that pocket uh, up against your hand, that pocket being that lower abdominal region, ideally three-dimensional if you can. Hold at the top for one to two seconds. So inhaling very slowly, I always say like seven to nine seconds is ideal or six to eight seconds, right around that range. Seven seconds is a good average. Um, A seven-second inhale, hold at the top for one to two seconds, and then finally exhale out as slowly as possible, attempting to kind of exaggerate the duration of that breath. Again, a seven-second breath is great, but if you can get 10, that's even better, right? Um, while you're exhaling, pull your rib cage down towards your waistline. Uh, this would be one single rep that I just went through. Performing anywhere between five to 10 reps seems to be plenty for most people. Um, and you know you're progressing when your breaths in and out get longer and longer, um, and this becomes more easy. But this isn't something you move away from. No matter how efficient you get and how much you master your breathing, keep practicing it prior to training and especially post-training. I used to use this pre-training for people who had low back issues because it really helped uh, alleviate some of that low back tension and stress before getting into the training session. However, I use it even more frequently, especially with athletes or anybody doing high-intensity, high-volume training. Um, I use it as a way to bring their nervous system down post-training so we can Uh, basically drop cortisol, get into parasympathetic tone, and start recovering faster from the workout rather than staying in that sympathetic overdrive, um, cortisol driven up. All right, the next thing in the pyramid is bracing uh, slash anti-extension. So bracing-based exercises are probably the most total core-based exercise you can do and by far the most strength, most important from a strength payoff perspective. Um, The cool part is that they're the most simple as well, right? So we're talking about exercises like planks, dead bugs, and like the ab wheel rollout here. You can think of bracing as tension because that's our goal here, right? Getting in a stable position, such as a variation of a plank and creating as much internal tension in your body, specifically the core and abs, as possible. You can do this on your elbows, on your hands, with one hand, two feet, two hands, one foot, or even standing. Like try grabbing a super heavy sandbag or even a zercher bar loaded up, pull your rib cage down, create that internal tension and just stand there and brace. We call this the standing plank and it works really well. Um, But the main takeaway here is that being able to hold a a stable position while bracing bracing or creating tension in your core isometrically is a foundational function of the body. It allows us to create internal tension, become aware of muscle contractions in the core, resist any type of external movements or forced. Um, That's that whole anti-extension perspective and and point. Um, And most importantly, it allows your body to be safe during lifting because this trains your body to brace properly during an exercise. Um, One of the the plank variations that I really like a lot um, is the long lever pelvic tilt plank. Um, This is how I like to teach a client to position their body, specifically their hips and lower back while they plank. Um, and no matter what type of plank or bracing based exercise you have them do your client or yourself, you should be following that cue, right? And that, that cue is basically pulling your rib cage down and tucking your tailbone. So when we see this person in a plank, it almost looks like their back is rounding because what most people do is they let their lower back sink in and now they're creating extension. So they're in a plank hold, creating extension and forces being applied to their lower back, their lumbar spine, their spinal erectors. 
not good. Spinal rectors become inflamed. Your low back gets super tight. And now you have uh, lumbar dysfunction as well. You're going to have stress placed on the lumbar spine, which is the, the main area people are getting issues. And eventually this can lead to other things like sciatic nerve issues, stuff like that. So what I try to tell people is, you know, actually when you start a plank, I want you to push your elbows or your hands into the floor. So now I'm rounding my shoulders. I'm protracting my shoulders. So retracting your shoulders would be like on a row when I pull my shoulder blades back. Now I want to push into the floor with my hands or my elbows. So my shoulder blades actually round forward. I'm creating that rounding on my upper back. Now I'm actually going to pull my hips up a little bit. I'm going to hike my hips up a little bit. And then from that position, I'm going to exhale, pulling that rib cage down to my waistline. So I'm basically flexing my abs. And then I'm going to squeeze my glutes, squeeze my butt as tight as I can and tuck my tailbone towards my belly button. If you're listening to this right now and you are able, if you're not driving or something, Get in a plank hold and do this. Push your hands or your elbows into the floor. Tuck your rib cage down towards your waistline and tuck your tailbone down towards or up towards your belly button while squeezing your butt. You will get in the perfect position for a stable plank and you will fire your core so much more. And if you want to add even more tension and make this plank even harder, take your elbows and drive them into the floor as hard as you can. So this is going to be um, almost like a lat straight arm pull down. So my elbows are on the floor and I'm dragging them towards my waistline. I'm dragging them down so my shoulders kind of pack while they're in that protract position. Oh my God. Like that is, I love this because I'll put somebody in a plank. I'm like, hey, can you plank? Like, yeah, I'm pretty good at planks. I'm like, all right, here's what we're going to do. And I cue them up and we get 15 seconds in and they're like shaking like crazy, right? Like a, like a, baby deer's legs. It's just funny because they're like, oh, I can plank for a couple minutes straight. All right, give me 10 seconds in this position, you know? So it can be very brutal, but the whole point again is bracing in anti-extension exercises are extremely important. That's why they're the second thing on the pyramid because they are what are going to train your core to be reactive during a deadlift, during an overpress, during a squat, during a heavy movement pattern, during a sprint, when you're changing directions, uh, in a car crash, when uh, something hits your car and you, your body has to ref reflex, right? Has to ha be able to react and brace and create an anti-extension or just anti-anything, right? We're going to get into anti-rotation, which is a big part of that too. But bracing is so, so important. Next one is anti-movements. And that's what I was just referring to with the anti-rotation, right? Um, and, and this is where, you know, we get kind of excited, right? A little sexiness creeps into the scene now. And anti-movement-based exercises can be fun. Um, they can be pretty damn cool. They can be pretty challenging. And uh, once again, they have a huge payoff, not only for a ripped core, but a functional core and, and really just total body strength. Uh, these are another form of bracing and creating internal tension, just like described in the previous uh pyramid section but these exercises use external movements or resistance which attempt to force us out of that position uh, in other words it's the next level up from a plank right clearly and it's important to understand that so you usually wouldn't want to do a difficult anti-rotation exercise if you cannot plank for longer than 30 seconds with proper form right there's kind of like this this hierarchy <laughs> quote unquote like i'm going over um and although bracing is is more important as a whole it's also first because it's what we need to do in order to prepare for other things like anti-movement. So you can't really functionally do anti-movement exercises without doing the anti or doing the bracing movements first. 
Um, but the biggest benefit and payoff here is that it's bracing against external forces, meaning you'll be not only able to create the internal tension and isometric strength, but be able to apply it to something attempting to force you out of that position and, and remove that tension. Um, a, a great one is a, uh, is a landmine bus driver, right? Um, now, a lot of people do this with a lot of rotation, and you can do it with rotation. A lot of people do a ton of rotation, um, but it's almost better to create this as an anti-rotation. So as the heavy load goes to the, to the right, although my shoulders will rotate, I'm trying to keep my core and my hips completely stable and not rotate, right? That anti-rotation is what we're after here. Now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing rotation because wood chops and rotational exercises are very, very important. But in my opinion, and in this hierarchy, I think for core strength and core aesthetics, anti-rotation is going to be a little bit more important. These can be uh, added in a, in a more simple way than the landmine too. Um, I mean, these can be even added in more simple simply than an, almost any other core exercise because it can really just be as simple as doing a kettlebell squat in an offset racked position, right? Or holding a dumbbell on one side instead of both. Uh, what this does is simple. It tries to force your body one way as you're loaded on only one side. Then it's your core's job to avoid any unnecessary rotation. And that can be rotation of the core. It can be anti-lateral rotation. So if you have a heavy dumbbell and you're doing a farmer's walk and it's pulling you down to the side, well, it's anti-lateral rotation to, to stabilize and get tall without letting it pull you down. Um, but it can also get much more intense when we add things like, like I said before, landmine bus drivers, which are one of my favorites. Um, Palov presses uh, and Palov press variations are probably one of the um, most simple and, and most frequently used by myself. Uh, for that. And all you have to do is take a band or a cable, set it up at chest or shoulder height, um, and then rotate out, keeping your elbows locked out. So you keep it close to your chest. And then as you rotate, you press it out and the band is pulling you one way, right? So the band is pulling me to the left or to the right. And my hands are going to stay straight in front of me with that band tension. And I'm avoiding that rotation. I'm isometrically contracting my abs and I'm bracing so that I can avoid any rotation of my spine. Um, and your, your spine should be able to rotate through the thoracic area, um, which is your mid back. And that's where that thoracic rotation comes into play. But anti-rotation is what we want for developing better bracing skills and better core strength for lifting. And again, adding some wood chops in some, and some, some band rotations, things like that is smart too. As long as you're pulling your rib cage down, you're flexing your abs as you go through it, because then your core is working to make that happen versus just using the joint. Um, next in the pyramid, we have flexion-based exercise. And now we're kind of getting familiar because flexion-based exercises are basically just sit-up variations, which we all know. Um, surprisingly enough, most people do not perform these properly. They actually do not even flex their spine when they sit up. They often just sit up off the floor and can even hyperextend the low back at the top of the movement. Um, but if we do not literally flex at the spine, compressing the rib cage down, we are not performing the sit-up or any flexion-based core exercise properly. So next time you perform a sit-up or a crunch, try pulling your rib cage down and exhaling as you perform this. You will find a greater mind-muscle connection to your abs for sure, uh, and, and you'll definitely get more benefit out of your sit-up. But remember, if we don't nail down the foundations and the pyramid blocks below this, like as we go up, then these will be much less beneficial to our client's physique and strength because the cues needed to optimize the crunch become easier when we move through the hierarchy properly. So as we learn breathing skills and as we learn how to brace properly, now we, we can better do sit-ups and use them functionally. 
right? So um, again, all, what I'm trying to do is flex my spine. Next time you see somebody do sit-ups, try to pay attention and watch when they sit up, they actually flare their rib cage up, right? They're looking towards the sky. And when I flare my rib cage, do this right now. If you're sitting down, flare your rib cage. You can't flex your abs. You're soft. In order to flex your abs, what happens to your rib cage? You compress it. You pull your rib cage down. So if I'm doing a sit-up and I'm flaring my rib cage up by looking towards the sky, not only am I not flexing my abs, but I'm hyperextending at the lower back, creating more tension in my spinal erectors, which is not the goal, right? You should train your spinal erectors because they're part of your core, but if you do them the wrong way, it's just going to create more tension, more pain, more stress on the muscle, and you're not going to be able to functionally train your core, and you're probably going to have more low back issues, Right, so, so remember, I'm crunching at the spine. I'm trying to flex my spine, and I don't want my hip flexors to take over by allowing myself to uh, flare my ribcage up. Right? And, and the last one for today is loaded carries. Right? This is the last one, um, but it's very underrated. And even though it is at the, the very bottom of the pyramid, or I guess the peak, the top of the pyramid, uh, being the smallest section, it is still a very crucial and important part of training that should be included into literally everyone's training program. Loaded carries are not only great core stimulator, but they're also just total, bo total body exercise. Depending on the variation, they can light up your shoulders, traps, rhomboids, lats, arms, and of course, your entire core. To add to that, they're a great fat loss tool as well. In fact, they may be the best core exercise when it comes to burning calories and losing body fat because sit-ups and, and planks don't burn f much fat at all right? They, they train your core, which is where you want to lose fat, but they don't, tr they don't directly burn fat because they don't burn that many calories. Fat loss directly comes into calories in versus calories out. So the best exercises for fat loss are the exercises that burn the most calories, right? Farmer's walks do that. Loaded carries do that better than most sit-ups and, and variations of ab exercises. Um, one of my favorite variations is, uh, is actually, um, there's two of my favorite variations. One is, is basically, um, grabbing a heavy pair of kettlebells or dumbbells, get in a great posture, and then walk while creating as much tension in your core, arms, upper back as possible. Um, going at a fast pace, so this is one of my favorite variations of this, go at a very fast pace and then have cones where you're stopping or have somebody clapping. So I'm moving fast, 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 stop, fast, 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 stop, move, and then walk backwards, fast, stop, back and forth like that. And that fast movement and that immediate reaction to stop actually forces your core to brace so much more because you have to brace so the momentum of the dumbbells or kettlebells don't go forward and back or swing. Um, another one is a chaos farmer's walk, which I love, which is where you would you ideally need fat grips or some kind of handles that you can attach bands to. And you attach the bands to the kettlebells and now the kettlebells are bouncing and shaking in your hands while you're gripping these bands and you're just walking. So now you're creating an instability factor while training this loaded carry. Really difficult, really fun, but really, really good when it comes to reactionary core stuff. Um, and you can even do a racked kettlebell walk. I love this one too. This, is, this would be holding a sandbag or a pedal, pair of kettlebells in a front rack position, still pulling your ribcage down, and again, just simply walking with good posture. Um, so there's so many ways to do these. You can do single arm, you can do cross body finishers. So you can have one kettlebell, um, on in a racked position up top and you can have one kettlebell in a down position. You can have one kettlebell in a down position, one kettlebell in an overhead position. There's so many ways to do carries and the point is, is that you're doing them. A lot of my clients do carries multiple times per week because they're a great finisher. Um, but okay. Now we've ran through just about everything there is to know about the core and how to train it, all the different functions and movement patterns that are included in the hierarchy. Uh, but let's finish off with some like actual programming tips so you can apply these great tools into your training ASAP. Um, I, I 
created some core finishers that I'm going to link in the description of this podcast. So you can actually click the link, go to the blog, and you'll see tables where you can actually steal core finishers. Um, And I've broken them down into levels one, two, and three. The rationale being that if you've never really implemented any serious core training, start with a level one. Um, And as you progress, you go up, right? And remember that the minimal effective dose for results is almost always best. As you progress, move forward through the levels to challenge your core a bit more as you build. Uh, there's no sense in going straight to level three because it's more difficult and you think it's going to create a bigger bang for your buck because if you're not trained for that properly, you're not going to recover from it properly, then you're not going to get the most out of it. And you might not even do it correctly. Because um, remember, you remember that coaching cue list I gave you before? The things I ask my clients when implementing each type of exercise and phase of their core training, right? What's happening and how it's working. Those would be your measurements here in determining whether you are ready for the next level. Simply put, use your best judgment and personal performance as you get better and stronger, you can move on to the next level of core training and the next level of programming within these tables that are linked in the podcast. And that's assuming that you can answer those questions properly, right? Is your breath getting longer? Yes. Okay, move on, right? Are you able to load the setup? Yes, move on. You know, things like that. Um, And there's a lot of different ones. So like if you want to train your core multiple times a week, I, I would suggest three to four. You could start day one with cable crunches for three to four sets of 15 to 20 with those cues I said before. Day two would be a uh, long lever plank hold, like I talked about before, 30 to 60 seconds, three to four rounds, and then day three might be farmer's walks, right? Three to four sets for three minutes. Now we're kind of hitting all the bases. Um, Level two, we might shift into supersets, right? So day one might be cable crunches and an RKC plank, which is a variation of that plank. Day two might be another LLPT plank, uh, which is the one I said before, and then sprinter setup. So now we're still doing flexion and, and bracing. And day three might be hanging knee raises and farmer's walks supersetted together. Again, breathing isn't included in all these because breathing is just part of the program no matter what. You should definitely be doing it after. If you have low back issues, you should be doing it before. Breathing isn't your finisher. Breathing is a part of a mandatory prehab rehab to make sure that you're staying functional and healthy. Um, Level three might be cable crunches and RKC plank day one, uh, spinner sit-ups and Pavlov press hold day two, and then hanging knee raises in half rack kettlebell farmers walks. We're having a cross body tension in day three. And all of these, the thing with all of these is going to be that uh, we're adding sets. So level one might be two to three sets per session. Level two might be three to four sets. And then level four might be four to five sets per session. So we're adding volume to these as we go. That was a lot, guys, I know, but I hope you can listen to everything I talked about today. Go check out the blog so you can get some of these things in writing and you can see some of the videos that I think will help show you and demonstrate this live and then you can take the templates and the tables to use in your own programming or in your programming for your clients. Um, And just know that the core is very, very important. And even if you are in a fat loss phase and you are, or you are in a muscle building phase or whatever, and you can't fully see your abs, I would highly recommend training them because you're going to prevent more injury. You're going to have better main compound lifts. And when you get lean enough, they're going to be popping out more and you're going to see them better. All right, guys, that's all I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you go build a six pack. And I hope when you do, you let me know about it and you let me know that I helped you. I will catch you guys next time.